Welcome to another episode of our Founders Podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your business. In this episode, I talk to Simon, the founder of Popcorn CRM. Simon's journey began as a marketing consultant for small businesses owners in the Midlands. He spent his days helping them bridge the gap between marketing sales and but one thing was crystal clear, existing softwares were a clunky, budget-breaking mess. Back in 2013, the idea struck him, why not create a super simple visual CRM system that small businesses can actually use and love? That's where Popcorn CRM come to life. Fast forward to today, and Popcorn CRM is already in its third version, all geared up to become the top CRM for small businesses in the UK. The secret sauce? Simon's mantra of keeping things simple, focusing on value and delivering world-class customer service to get you going in no time. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Simon, welcome to the show. Oh, welcome. Thank you. I, I quite like that intro. Thank you very much. Cheers. I wish, Do I you have a favorite? So <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> I wish I could be so eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you would like to share with our audience? I suppose from, from an inspirational point of view, um, I'm not brilliant with quotes, but the one I always quote back to people is from Nike. Um, and it's just, just do it. If you, mm -hmm. if you want to do something, if you want to achieve something, if you just do it, it means you started. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. If it's not, you're on the journey. And as long as you keep doing it, you'll get to the end. So it's a very simple it, one. Yeah. Totally agree. I mean, uh, I couldn't agree more on this one because a lot of founders I interview and uh, most of them who have not started, they always think about, oh, what if I make a mistake? What if the product is not good and they just don't start and you need to start at some point, isn't it? I, I remember <laughs> I, I, my first job, the marketing director I was talking to, I remember being that eager, fresh-faced person coming in there, you know, and I was desperate to do stuff to prove myself in the company. And he turned around and I was asking to get involved in all these projects. And he just turned around to me and went, Simon, 90% of marketing is delivery. The other, the strategies, all those other things, just 10%. You've got to nail the 90% first because that's what it all counts on. Otherwise, there's no point doing anything else. And it's yeah. always stuck with me. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. We got two chords. That was an unplanned one. <laughs> so, so tell us about Popcorn Serum then. What does the product do? Who is it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Okay, so what is it? Um, you've described it very lovely at the moment, so thank you. But what we are, we're a CRM that's designed specifically for small businesses. And when I say that, we've cut out kind of all the bells and whistles that small businesses don't actually use and get in the way of them using it. And then what we've done is we've put the essential marketing tools in there so that they can kind of manage, nurture, convert their prospects faster. But what it actually means in real terms is that every small business that works with us always knows where every single one of their prospects are, why they're there, and what they need to be speaking to them about. So it gives them that sort of intelligence, that insight, really quickly and really simply. Hmm. Um, so who uses us? It's the best way to describe it is the way a small business work. Well, the way businesses work. They all when we all start off. We've all done this. 
we go out there and we go, right, then I'm going to do this. And we bootstrap it and we go, right, I'm going to use a spreadsheet to do this. We've got a spreadsheet here. Then I need to do some some email marketing. So I'll go and use an email marketing platform there. And then there's this, then there's this, and there's another spreadsheet here. And then we get an employee or start working with that. You make a copy of that spreadsheet. Soon we realize data is all over the place. It's a complete and utter mess. And because of that, we're missing sales and we're losing opportunities. What then happens to a typical small business is they realize how much money they're losing, which is about seven grand a month um, in lost sales and missed opportunities. So it's big figures, um, especially for a small business. They get they have this panic reaction. They go, I've got to do this properly. Um, mm -hmm. And they'll go over and they'll jump over to something like HubSpot, something like Salesforce, which are brilliant bits of kits. And we were talking just before we came on air about this. But they're brilliant, but they aren't designed for small businesses. They're designed for corporates. They've got all the reporting in there and the functionality that will give everything you need. But with that comes a lot of time, comes complexity, and in time comes a lot of cost. So uh, one of my favorite stats is from actually from salesforce.com from a couple of years ago. They said that 72% of small businesses give up using CRM because it's too complicated or clunky. So they then give up go back to the spreadsheets and we're into this cycle of failure. So we've kind of taken that very, very thin middle slice where people kind of go, I know I need to start doing something better than this, but I'm not ready for all this functionality yet. I just want to be able to focus on doing what I do brilliant, get the team using it and let it do what it does. And that's where we are with it all. Yeah, yeah, got it. It's like, it's like using Microsoft BI for a very small business who can actually generate the charts literally on a spreadsheet or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Go, go, going back to my original quote of just do it, um, you want to find the quickest, simplest way to do something because the more layers, the more stuff you put in, the more chances mm -hmm. that you're not going to do it. And then yeah. you get caught up in, you let your customers down, you miss sales, you, your turnover drops. Indeed, indeed. Great. So, so, so let's talk about where the story began. You know, where did where, when and where did you had this popcorn serum idea, and where, where did it came from? Okay, so it, it, my my journey got me to the place. So, I've used the phrase journey. Sorry, don't. <laughs> I sound like some of X Factor. Um, or <laughs> um, so yeah. So I kind of I went through university, realized it wasn't for me. We start as a designer there. Um, mm. but I knew I loved marketing. So I went and worked my first job as a marketing, which I mentioned earlier. I worked my way up to the dizzy heights of a division of BMW group. And in there, that division did CRM integrations. So I saw the absolute power that a CRM can bring to a business. Um, mm. and I was doing marketing in there, but we were doing it out for to like some of the really big corporates, really big systems. But I really loved working with small businesses, the type of business I got involved with at the start. So I went and set out on my own um, and I was working as a marketing consultant for these sort of small businesses. And the best way to describe me once I sort of found my feet doing that would be I was kind of I mothered businesses is the best way of saying it. So I'd go out there and I'd kind of go, right, what do you need to do? And then I'd handhold them and get them into the actual behaviors so they were delivering. Um, but what I rapidly realized when I was working with these small businesses, they're doing all this good marketing behavior, but they mm. don't join up marketing and they don't join up sales. And then they've got the spreadsheets all over the place and the mess everywhere. So whenever any small business does any marketing, what do they want from it? They want sales. 
but because they aren't joining up, they're missing it. So I spent half my time doing spreadsheets of people going, joining it all up and going, there's the 10 people you need to phone because that's what marketing should be doing. It should be delivering results for people. But I got back to where I was at the very start with the university of going, I'm actually a spreadsheet person. <laughs> so, but I see the benefits here. I know the customers love it. So I need to build a piece of software. Now, as I mentioned, I was kind of started off a designer. I became a marketeer. I learned how to build websites. I've done some basic HTML coding and stuff, but I certainly knew I couldn't build a platform that I needed. So, and I was fair, I was very, very, with hindsight, I look back and I was far too green to do it. Um, but I started working with an agency, got them to, got them to build the initial concept, which was around what we were looking for. And, mm -hmm. That was to have a piece of software that joined up the marketing. They had email marketing in there. He had a CRM and some lead generation tools. And was to join all of that up in one place that so people could see. And it worked really nicely. We got some decent-sized customers working with us. And we got some really good feedback, which took us then to version one. Fast forward a few years, we went, uh, we started, well, fast forward to the pandemic. And I'm still working on version one. And it's, if I'm being honest, it's getting a bit creaky at this point. Um, but we, we're getting the results from it. People are really enjoying it. And when the pandemic hit, I, like many businesses, kind of stopped selling. I thought there's no point pushing, driving something. I'm going to go and educate. And mm -hmm. it made me rethink about what we did as a business. So I kind of went to my customers and went, tell me what you love about us. Tell me what you hate about us. We generally have those sort of conversations. And it was really interesting because what I thought people were using us for wasn't actually what we were, what we were um, doing. So mm -hmm. I kind of then stepped back completely and utterly and decided to spend a whole bunch of time looking at the CRM market and understanding my customers a lot more. And I probably spent a good several months doing this. And the outcome of what I came to made me readdress what our whole platform, our whole offering was. So we just refined it. We re we readjust our messaging. We look refined our customer audience. So we only wanted to work with these small businesses, which is what I love. Mm. Um, and then we started rebuilding this version two of the platform, and that went live five months ago. So it's taken off nicely. We've had some brilliant feedback from it. And I suppose the big win we've had on it is, and we're just at the final stages now, is we're going to be made um, official CRM partner for um, Free Agent, which is the UK's leading um, accountancy software. I forgot what it was. So accountancy software for small business. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a massive, amazing step for us. But it's all testament of the journey we've been on and how we actually understand their customers, and that's why Free Agent wants to work with us. Oh, perfect. Congratulations on that. I mean, landing Free Agent as a partner is a big deal in, in, in B2B business. I, I cannot even tell you how big it is. I think your next stop would be, I don't know, QuickBooks or Zero or someone <laughs> more <laughs> bigger and giant, you know? Watch this space. Great stuff, great stuff. So, so so when you had this epiphany, did you, I'm sure you looked into the market, you looked into the uh, other alternative products and what was going going on at that time and what did you see from your research? I mean, I know you, you said that there is a 
there's a vertic vertical slice or a gap there. But what exactly was that gap which encouraged you to move forward with this? Okay, so it was one of the things I did was obviously I, I researched my competitors and I understood what they all did. And we CRM itself is a, a very big umbrella term. It covers a whole depending on who you speak. If you speak to um, a corporate CRM in one thing, if you speak to a one man band, it means a completely different thing. Um, but it's got this capsule over it. So what I kind of did was I just started looking at my audience and going, what is it? They're, what do they love? What do they hate? So I did what was quite a scary exercise, really. But I spent weeks, days just going around all the forums, reading what people loved, what they hated um, about CRMs, where it was failing for them, where they were winning from it. And that was the key thing that kind of helped to identify these drivers, as well as in my own custom research. It just really enforced what a small business needs mm -hmm. and what it doesn't need. So that's what drove me kind of looking, well, we're going to put a promise in to say we're not going to have contracts, we're not going to have setup fees, there's no hidden fees in there. It really needs back to my core value of simplicity, all those things. And just as soon as I understood that, that was the driver for it. And it really still is. And whenever I speak to a small business, that's what they want. Amazing. And 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 it gives me so many goosebumps that these big giants who have billions of dollars they don't understand it right this is the girl this is the this is the sentiments of small business which they should learn but they don't they don't really care about it i, I don't i i suppose I, I would disagree um i think they do care but when small business isn't their target audience ah because as I, as I sort of mentioned, they're designed for, for corporates. So as mm -hmm. soon as you get out of those sort of freemium or those basic models mm -hmm. they've got, they rapidly ramp up. And mm -hmm. I, if it's right for you as a business, it's brilliant. It'll do everything you need it to. But for an average small business, once you go up to thousands of pounds a month, well, you're, it, because it stops becoming a benefit and becomes a drain on the business. Mm -hmm. And then you end up having to spend more time running it than you're actually spending doing your own business. So yeah. I don't think it's that they don't understand us. I think it's that they want to capture us ready for when we're ready to afford to use them. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. No, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. And, and, and how long it took you guys to get your first version? First version. So I, I remember, I, I know the exact moment where I came up with the idea. Um, mm -hmm. So sitting in, sitting in the kitchen with my wife, as I'm sure many of us have done, and just chatting away, complaining about, oh, this isn't what I want to be doing. And then I remember sketching it all out on a pad. And I probably spent a good couple of months at that concept stage, just getting my ideas really refined. I did some basic sketches and all that sort of stuff for it all, how, how I felt it should work and set the, the rules in place for the system. Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the key things, understanding what the, those rules are. So wherever we were in the platform, certain things must always happen and we cannot break them. And they still stand actually to this day. Mm -hmm. um, so the, I then, we then spent quite a bit of time finding, probably spent another few months trying to find the right um, developer for us. And mm -hmm. once we started with them, they were, they, were at, they were a great developer. They were absolutely brilliant. The heart was completely in it. I think they took on more than they, they could chew at first, mm. 
Mm. Um, so if that, from my point of view, was one of my first real learnings about the platform. So it took a lot longer. I think it took about a year, for, a year, year and a half for them to actually build it. Mm. Um, so that affected things in quite quite substantially for us. But from my point of view, it was really nice because it gave me the time to grow and nurture the platform, that sort of concept as I was working with them, to get mm. to exactly where I wanted it to be. Mm. So, yeah, so just over a year to a long answer to a short question. Sure, sure, uh, and I, I love I love this answer because it gives me all the all the information uh, which a founder needs to know when they are thinking about you know starting something new up. So, are you do you consider yourself fairly technical or 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 maybe I rephrase this question: How much? involved you were in your first version were you do you understand the technical stacks your um uh, agency or or the developers were using but did you had any say in it or did they suggested it you and then just you just got on boarded with it how did all this worked out so principles and functionality i i as, as i sort of said i was i'm a marketeer i've i love I, I, i'm a tech i suppose i class myself as an early adopter in those sort of worlds but when it comes to actually coding and being what I like to class as the black magic part of it all, um, didn't have a clue. It was complete foreign language. So one of the big learning curves I went through in that was learning how to talk tech mm-hmm. and how to communicate with devs. Because I would kind of go, I want this to happen. And I'd be marketing a fluffy language. Mm-hmm. Um, and the devs would then go away and produce something which they thought was what it was, and it was nothing like it. So I very rapidly learned about wireframing. So whenever I produced something, I'd wireframe it, and I'd put a, a very clear written description of what happens with every single click, mm-hmm. and that was a rapid, rapid learning curve um, for me. But once I'd got that, it helped me to the point where we could have a sensible conversation between us and we could get to the point of where we need to very quickly. But I still stand what we're, we're what, 10 years on now um, mm. from that point. At the time, and it's what I always said when I was in marketing, I don't want to know tech because if the moment I get caught up in tech stuff is the moment I stop being solution-led. Mm. So, because, uh, so when I'm working with my team at the moment, I'll go right then. And I've got, I understand the principles of stuff now, but I've, I've, I'm as far as I want to go with it. And I've got some great devs who understand me really well, but mm. I will kind of come up with a concept for the way I want something to work. They know the rules. They understand all the functionality behind it all. But more mm. importantly, I will then give them an exact mock-up of how I want this thing to look. Things to and I'll give them a description in it. And because of that, they can go and produce they come out exactly what I want pretty much every single time and occasionally three nice little bonuses come out of it yeah yeah and and and, and I this is this is a very re, very good example of a founder's life that when you're dealing with devs or technical people you need to give them clear vision or visibility or or this you know even it it's doodling on paper it helps yeah. a lot for devs and technical people. Great, even, great. even if it's just, sorry, um, for, for anyone, if, if you're anyone's out there thinking of starting, one of the things I start off by doing, we just be literally take a screenshot and then draw an arrow. Mm-hmm. Want this button here to be this or do this, but it mm-hmm. just removes a lot of the ambiguity out of it all. 
Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Great. And and I wanna I wanna talk more about the business and and then the, and and then uh, how 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 you're doing in terms of number of people in your team. But before that, I, I'm eager to learn more about the person behind this venture. Can you take us back to your roots? Share with our listeners about your upbringing, your childhood, and how did your early experiences shaped your journey to eventually led you to become an entrepreneur? I didn't, you don't get asked that question very often. Um, so, okay, yeah. So where, where do I start on this one? Completely unprepared. Um, yeah, okay. So I'm just going to... Um, my, my background is, I suppose I come from a typical working class family. I was the first person in my family to go to university. Uh, slogged my way through it, funded my way, and just hard work to get through it all. Um, I'm also... I'm dyslexic, and I think I'm about to be... Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD uh, as well. So had had my challenges throughout life with all of that. But I know that I just always it's felt like I've always I've always been driven. I've always known what I wanted to achieve. And because of that, and whether it's my focus, whatever it is, I've, I've always been determined to get there. So kind of went through university, but to get to you, I knew I wanted to get to university because I knew it kind of opened doors. So I, mm. I found the route that suited me best and at the time I kind of often just say um and you know so I was, I was stalling for a second because I tend not to openly say this bit but um why not um I, I usually describe myself as a designer I actually went through uni as a fashion textile designer um mm-hmm. and end up going on to do a master's but when I was doing the master's in it my focus was getting myself a job it was learning the marketing stuff and getting myself there but what it taught me is it taught me the principles of visual. It taught me how to present and how to have people engage with stuff. So that was mm-hmm. really fascinating. Um, and I suppose what what's happened then? So as I sort of I've gone, but won't go recap much. Yeah. So went through worked my way up the career ladder to the point where I've set up on my own. Now on that point, we're doing okay. Um, can always do better, as they as they say. But yeah, from yeah. that point difference, I'm now I'm now married. Been married about 15 years, and I've got three kids who are yeah the centre of my universe. Perfect, perfect. But and and were there any key influences from your family and surroundings that played a significant role in shaping your entrepreneurial spirit? Yes, I suppose there's two really. Um, the first one was um, was my mum. Um, mm-hmm. She was an absolute figurehead for me. She was. She was brilliant. She had the same outlook as me. She drove, she built her career up from, uh, she didn't go to university, but she built herself up to have a very good position and was, was doing well. So she was a person I always turned to for inspiration. Um, and on top of that, once, as the mother still is, is um, inspiration herself. But as life moved on, my I suppose it's my, my in-laws are absolutely amazing. My father-in-law had a similar journey to myself. He's worked really hard and he's been he has been a brilliant sort of person to have involved in my life hmm. that's that's really interesting you're the first person in all three seasons who mentioned that they had someone who had some key influences on their life from their in-law side so kudos to that yeah. <laughs> so we'll get a sticker um <laughs> no no they they they, 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 they 
<laughs> there's always the jokes about the in-laws and everything, but get along with them. Absolutely brilliant. And it's you just always got some really lovely insights from them. And just yeah. the what's helped that is because my wife grew up in that environment. She mm. me taking that similar journey. She's been brilliantly supportive. Perfect. 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 So, so let's, let's talk about the, the business now. So, Give us a sense of the size of the business and uh, where you are with the number of customer or percentage wise or size of the team, etc. Okay, so business size wise, um, where do I start? I suppose we're a lot bigger than we are now um, pre-COVID. So pre-COVID, obviously when it hits, we we downscaled the business a bit because we were focusing on the growth side of it and we just let, allowed the business to tick over. Um, mm-hmm. And we kept doing that, really. We weren't too bothered, especially because we knew we had the software coming up. And as being a software company, we all know what software launches are like. Um, so we're smaller than we were. We've got about, probably about 150 users on the platform now. So it's not massive, but it's a comfortable size in there. We, our plan, our vision for the business is we're going to become the UK's um, leading CRM for small business. So we know exactly where we need to be with numbers, all that sort of stuff on it. Um, go on, sir. Yeah, just I was just agreeing with you that this is amazing growth you have achieved, and and I was thinking to ask, is it all bootstrap, or did you to uh, raise some funding also to to create the product? No, you can you can count lines there. So no, it's all been <laughs> it's all it's all been um, we've funded it ourselves. We've grown organically, yeah. um, and it's all been around because we've stuck to those principles of doing what we know what we love people have stuck mm. with us and we've just chipped away slowly and slowly and we're at that nice tipping point now with the business we've got the right opportunities so but it's i'm gonna go off on one sorry um somebody asked me uh, a couple of months ago do i ever wish i'd taken investments and i suppose with the context of what this this is my initial thought was hell yeah i wish i had it would have been so much easier i could have hired staff quicker i could have invested in my marketing got my product bigger better faster all that stuff Mm. and it is a lovely lovely thought the idea of a bunch of cash being injected into your business but i obviously didn't go that route and when i look back on it i'm really glad i didn't and for one Mm. simple reason well, well i've had full control of this product so if we're taking an investment company on at those early stages, the company probably wouldn't be what it is now or it may not even be here because mm-hmm. of that pressures or well, those financial constraints and those external pressures would have had serious ramifications upon what my vision was for this business. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I'm very glad I haven't gone down that investment route for the moment. It's something we are considering potentially for the future, though. Yeah, yeah, and I, I personally have a have a you know a sort of like a close a kind of close sort of sentimental emotion to towards the founders who haven't raised anything and built the product by themselves with bootstrapping it because it's not just about building it, funding it yourself, and then you know putting it. 100% of you, but it is also about loving it, making sure that it is what your customer wants, making sure it is what you want to do in your life and add value to others, you know, life. So it's 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 all, it's kind of like a package, 
comes to you and then yeah. you stick to it for, for a very, very long time. Yeah. Great. And so on, on, on that score as well, many people kind of describe starting business as being like a roller coaster and mm-hmm. software development is exactly the same. You'll have some amazing, amazing highs, but mm-hmm. on the opposite, you'll have some really stressful times. And if you don't yeah. love what you're doing and you haven't got that complete passion to get you through it, you'll mm-hmm. give up. And so for yeah. me, and I think it's, for me, I'm glad I took that harder route and I've got mm. to a place where I'm really, really happy with the product. And luckily, it's all starting to fall together nicely. Perfect, perfect. Great. So, so Simon, tell us about, tell us how did you got your first 10 customers? What was, tell us about how did you got your first customer? And then tell us about how did you manage to get your first 10 customer and what was the journey like and what did you do? Okay, so my first customer, do you know what? I, I used to do, uh, so I started when, with my marketing hat on. Um, I used to do, and I'm sure many people out there will have done it, and it's a fit for some, it's not fit for all, um, but I did BNI, I used to do BNI. So my first handful of customers came through BNI was me standing up and going, sorry? What is BNI? Ah, sorry, BNI, it's a, it's a networking group. Um, we, you pay membership and the other members go out and find your referrals. Um, so I started that and I started talking about this software and a couple of people in the room bought into mm-hmm. the software and then it started, then it, that was the initial way it started to grow as I was finding my feet and they, cause they, they knew me well though, as with any bit of software, you've got the, you'll have the hiccups at the start. They worked with me to get through that. And as that, they, everyone built confidence with it. It then started spread it through the networks and we started talking to people and we started getting more and more referrals coming off users from that point. So it was quite an organic growth process. Um, but my going back to where you're asking about my skills, my focus at the time was just getting the software working, getting them and focusing on the message. But luckily, and I say luckily because it doesn't happen all the time, um, we had the referral route coming in through us from users that were loving it. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you didn't happen to to do anything which nowadays the digital founders do, like uh, for example, social media or SEO or content marketing, this kind of stuff. So we didn't really do any. We did email marketing as part of it. Um, so that's one of the tools that's built into the platform. So that was mm-hmm. done organically. Well, organic. we did that as part of the course. SEO, we dabbled, but when you've got so many hats on it and seo at the 10 years ago was relatively new um mm. it never really got any traction on there and social media was kind of the same we, we had a play with it but nothing nothing serious um and i i had which is one of the reasons why i suppose i had a slower growth trajectory one mm. of the challenges we face in our industry and some people i'm sure some of your listeners will probably have this as well is crm is quite a saturated marketplace so you've got a lot of the big boys, such as ones we mentioned earlier, HubSpot, Salesforce, they put hundreds of thousands of pounds into their SEO potentially every month. Um, so getting to number one position on those terms is is extremely hard. And we've got a couple, we're, we're up there on a couple of things, but mm. even to this day, SEO still isn't a focus of ours because we don't have the resource to go there. So we tend to go yeah. down niche routes and we find these groups and build 
we still take back to the start. We still have a lot of referrals coming through to us. Right, right. Is there a place where where our listeners can go and if they have something similar business like yours or similar SaaS product, what will, what will be your suggestion? What kind of groups they have to join? Or is there a place where they can find these groups? Uh, from what are you talking about from the, the lead generation perspective or the yeah. support perspective? Yeah. So, lead generation or getting referrals, things like that. Yeah. So I, if I, the first thing I would say to anybody in, my, in this situation or any business is understand mm-hmm. your customer. If you mm-hmm. understand your customer, you will know where your customer's hanging out. And so if we talk about in terms of CRM, for example, um, mm-hmm. if I was to try and do SEO on the term CRM, I'd be looking to pay 20, 30 pounds. It was not SEO, sorry, pay-per-click on that. I'd be looking to pay mm-hmm. 20, 30 pounds per click, which obviously isn't realistic. Um, but the big boys can afford to do that. Um, but because I now understand my audience, I now know where they hang around and the sort of things they look at that are more niched. So it's, for me, it's not just about going, oh, you're interested in CRM. It's about understanding those small areas that really matter to the business and they spend a lot more time digging into. And when you've got that, you can really target and nurture those areas. So a great, a great example is, is working with, um, working with forums. So if you can get on there and become an expert in the forum, all of a sudden you've got, you become a trusted character in that place and people start talking to you and the referrals naturally start coming through in there, which is a little more labor intensive, but it will grow it, your reputation really nice and you get lots of other bigger things falling out of that. Indeed, indeed. And, and this, this rule applies to um, anywhere in any industry anyways, because you need to become a reputable go-to person in that space in order to, in order for people to trust you, you know, I don't know where I heard this. I think it was in one of the books I've read where it says that you have to have seven touch points with your customer before they actually make a purchase with you. Yes. So I guess that conveys the message. Well, to, to carry on with that, I, I think it depends on your product. So if someone's going out to buy, um, I don't know, a computer game, they don't mm. really, they'll go and buy it on, they'll become price point orientated as long as they trust you they'll make that purchase mm. it's one click purchase but if someone's going out to buy a car um or something an expensive complex purchase they'll spend a lot of their time making those decisions and it's mm. quite interesting around the one, one of my favorite stats uh stats quotes is from um if you well, there's a book called they ask you answer which if anybody out there wants i've come prepared if anybody out there um, yeah, wants to understand their customer a bit more, it's a brilliant, brilliant book for that. And mm-hmm. in there, they talk about the, the buying process and the, the decision process for it. And I went to a seminar with the author, Marcus Sheridan, um, when was it, just before, uh, just last year. Mm-hmm. And he was saying the updated stats from the book is that 80% of a buying decision is made before anybody will reach out to sales. So when you talk about that six, seven touches, mm. you won't know that, that nobody will admit to you that they're ready to buy until touch number seven. Yeah. And at yeah. that point, exactly. they're completely armed. They've got all the knowledge they need to know because they'll have been doing all the research. 
they will have been doing all this stuff so they can come to you and go, am I making the right decision? Mm. Not starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah, totally agree, totally agree. Yeah, great, great, uh, great point. So, so let's talk about um, this uh, dilemma which founders usually found them, and obviously, be you being in the industry for a very long time. Um, what was the pricing model you started with when you launched the first version? Where we are right now, and how did you reach to this point? Okay, so the the pricing model was is kind of the same um throughout the journey the pro and i say kind of we have adjusted it towards the end but it's because it's dictated by the industry um and typically what people and so what we did was say right then here's a monthly cost we'll tie you into a contract um and then we'll have upgrades for a b c d and e throughout that time depending on what your needs are um and that's the way the industry predominantly works now what I realized going back to sort of COVID time, when I did all my research, customers just got completely fed up with it. They never know. They think they know how much they're going to pay here, but they end up paying a lot here and you get resentment. Um, and what buyer's remorse kicks in very, very rapidly in there. So what our pricing models look like now, we've still, we still do, a, well, our pricing starts from £15 a month. Um, for a basic package for someone that's not ready to start yet or ready, you're ready to fully engage, but it gives them a basic functionality. We've then got a, a package for £49 that includes email marketing, it includes two users, and it gives full access to the platform. The only way they'll pay more than that is if they want to spend send thousands and thousands of emails. But what we've done, the, the big difference is, is, as I mentioned at the start, we don't tie people into contracts, we don't have hidden fees, and we don't have setup fees. And that is, so, that is a promise we have right from the start. And it allows us to stick to that industry model, which people expect, mm. but gives them the comfort blanket that they don't have to stay with us because well, they're not stuck. They can, they, they're in control. Mm. Mm. I think that's probably one of the key things, control. A lot of people lose, feel they've lost control once they're in those, those original pricing models. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and essentially, if, if you're, you're saving on average, as you mentioned, around seven to eight thousand pounds by utilizing something which is automating your processes. You know, it's easy, easy decision. Fifteen pounds or or fifty pounds a month, forty nine pounds a month. It's not a that big deal for a business to invest so that they can automate things. Yeah, you would think, but still, a lot of businesses do do procrastinate. <laughs> on it. it's, it's a bit like change for the accountants out there who are completely right. Um, yeah. Changing your accountant is a complete emotional decision mm. because you've got a lot of lot of stuff going on there and changing the CRM is very similar to that as well. So people do take the time. We'll get somebody to adopt straight away. We have some people still take two years and that's where it comes down to, and this is where your 7K comes from. It comes mm. down to uh, the sort of the pipeline and not just focusing on the people that are ready to buy now, mm. but nurturing them so that when they are ready to buy, when they've gone through and done the 80% of research, that you're there, they remember you, and they're happy to have that conversation with you at that point. Perfect, perfect. Okay, great. So would you be able to share a compelling case study that highlights how a company leveraged Popcorn CRM solution to achieve success and solve their key business challenges? 
Okay, so uh, to give an example, we've got we've got a load on our website, which is popcorncrm.co.uk. Check it out. Um, <laughs> no, but well, one of the ones that in, there's two which immediately spring to mind. One mm -hmm. is a uh, a digital marketing company that predominantly focuses in, on PPC and um, and website builds. They they before using us, they fit into that early adopter stage they've been going a good few years but they were running on spreadsheets and all that stuff but they had, they had a couple of telemarketers they had sales director and various things nobody had a clue what was going on mm -hmm. um and they started using us and they immediately freed up i think two hours of their management time every single day because they everybody could see what was going on we joined everything up and I, one of my favorite quotes come from this person and hopefully i don't misquote it but she said, we love popcorn because it, popcorn's our safety net. We know mm -hmm. where everybody is and we don't have to worry about it. And mm -hmm. that, was, that, was, that was one of my favorites from an emotional perspective. But from a statistical point of view, we worked with um, a, a big sort of, oh, what are they called? Um, kind of finance company. And they do a very specialist area of finance, which the word has gone. It'll come back to me in a second. Um, but they were using us for communicating with all their customers and then using it to drive into, uh, drive into sales lead gen and managing the process. And we increased their sales conversion rate by 200%. Um, so just by giving them the intelligence, because we can, when you use us, you can see when someone's engaging, we track all that sort of 80% of pre-buying behavior. And we'll even tell you down to what pages they've been looking at on your website. So we give them that, you, them that intelligence. And I forget the ROI stats. I should have prepared for that. But I think it was something like four or 500% um, wow. ROI on it. So, yeah, they absolutely loved us. Awesome. Awesome. And that, that, that gives me an idea about, like, how important it is for a business to automate their, you know, customer relationship management because ultimately every business needs to make profit and in order to make profit you need to make sure your customers are happy so there you go there's no other option <laughs> well i'm gonna disagree a bit so whenever i speak to new people signing up new to the platform or people coming to us they always talk automation 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 we've got this i want to automate everything hmm. and the first thing i'll say is don't do it because if you try and automate everything at the spot well, i'll give you an example we were talking to um one company there i think they're turning over a couple of million so it wasn't I, they weren't a prospect for us but i was just giving them some advice hmm. um so when i say uh, they weren't a prospect they had about 60 i think about 50 employees or something so it it wasn't right for us but so i was giving this advice and what they said was we get we're generating loads of leads but we're just not converting them and they were blaming the crm for it so we can we keep losing stuff we keep doing this and when i went through and had started having a look at some stuff i spotted that they were trying to automate the whole process mm. and what was happening they'd made one mistake and that notification email, which was supposed to go through to the salesperson, wasn't getting through every time. Mm. So the salesperson was missing out on 50% of their inquiries. And therefore, they were get, those inquiries were getting lost. 
So the best advice I can genuinely give for a small business, now if you're a big business, you're established and you've got the resource to manage and experience to do it, it's mm. brilliant. But for a small business, start off small, get your processes sorted and nailed first. So if you understand what you need to be doing at every single stage and you understand it properly, then it, you know it'll work. Then put some automation in to manage something through the simple steps. Once mm. you've got those simple steps in place, you can start elaborating on them and stepping them up. But that way you're in full control and you understand the way the system's working. Because it's very easy for automation to get out of control. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, now I understand it. It, it is important to understand your company's, you know, uh, yeah, like if a company is a body, then you need to understand the, the backbone, the veins and all the things which connect it. And then you figure out which part you want to automate which part you want to keep human. And I think you, exactly what you've just said there, people buy from people. doesn't mm. matter what industry we're in. We're, whether Go back to my example of a computer game earlier. We'll mm. often we'll go back to a shop when we go, we go into physical shops because we like the staff or we know we've had a, a, an experience in there. We like it. Um, and if we automate a process 100%, it stops being human. Mm. Um, so if you can keep an eye on it and still have that human interaction, even if it's just very simple little steps, it will differentiate you from your competition. Definitely, definitely. Great. Um, Simon, I'm enjoying this conversation so much that it makes me think, you know, because I'm also founder and, you know, when you're a founder and you're talking about how to generate leads, what things could be improved, etc., you always think because you always relate to it, right? So great stuff. So, so unfortunately, we are heading towards the end of the interview. So I have to, you know, um, ask you, take you to the lightning round where we have six quick questions and you can answer them. But before we go into that, <laughs> Before we go into that, I would like to ask you one last question, which is like throughout your journey, like your experience, there must have been valuable lessons learned. You know, if you don't mind sharing, could you reflect on your experience that tell us about a mistake or a setback you encountered along the way? Maybe you don't consider it as a regret, but like a lesson learned. And what advice would you give our listeners based on that experience? Okay. So... The biggest problem I've I've had in my journey, as we sort of said at the very start, I'm not a techie person. Mm. Um, I'm not a coder. I've had to rely on other people to do that. And that has been one of the biggest holes. In, it, it's been a benefit and a problem at the same time. Mm. Um, but we, so what I would say for people that want to do something that are in my situation, or even if they're looking, they've got the expertise and they're looking to work with an agency, is do your due diligence and do it as rigorously as you can do. So make sure you understand the company you're going to, what their beliefs are, how they're going to work with you. Every, understand it all properly. And the reason I say to give, we we were working with one agency, and this was a good few years back. So it was one of the things that caused a problem for us. And it was part of that COVID time. We were working with this agency, and they... Sorry, I was, uh, I'm pausing here, but um, so we were working with them. We had them on a retainer basis, so they had their developers working X days a week on, on our project. And what they did was 
they, we had a, we had a disagreement because they weren't delivering what I was asking them to, even though I was specifying it all out, and it wasn't coming out. And so as that disagreement went on, and we started to come to the end of the relationship, they then decided to delete my live website, and they also with, I know I was I used I wasn't quite as composed when I uh, <laughs> when it happened, and which obviously impacted all my users. They also mm-hmm withheld all my backups and so the point so it, i end up having a good couple of weeks of a lot of pain um whilst a we recovered the website b we had to onboard the replacement agency a lot faster than was planned and they had to rebuild my site so mm-hmm. that had a massive impact on us as a business emotionally and financially um so the best bit of advice i would give is do your due diligence and once you're working with them, make sure you have control of all of your backups and you have backup plans in place. So if anything was to go wrong, and we have this now, if anything was to go wrong, systems will kick in. We've got other developers in place ready to go if something was to happen. And it's, it's belt and bracer every step of the way. That's a really good learning uh, you have shared, Simon, because I think a lot of people just ignore the fact that they need to own whatever they're paying for, either it is code or an app or, or even even your server backups, you know, you need to have control over it being a founder because it's very, very important. It's your intellectual property anyway, so you Completely. have to have it. Yeah. Absolutely. Great, it's okay. So we should wrap up now. We are going into the lightning round. I've got six quick fire questions for you. So right. Okay, number one. What's one of the best piece of business advice you have received? Uh, never give stuff away for free. You can give it away, but you should always get something back. So to give an example, when you send an email out to somebody you're, mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with um, stuff in it, don't put all, with knowledge in it, don't put the knowledge in the email, put it on a web page, because what you're getting back is you're getting clicks, you're getting intelligence and knowledge. But if you give it, make sure if you're giving something away, you know what you're getting back from it. Great, great, great tip. And um, what book would you recommend to our audience and why? The one I said earlier, brilliant. They Ask mm. You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. Check it out. Even if you don't want to read, there's an audio book of it. It's brilliant. Cool. I'm going to add that into my reading lists. Great. Um, what's one what what one attribute or a characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, it's a roller coaster. If you give up at the first hurdle, second hurdle, third hurdle, you're never going to get there. You've got to believe in what you do and just keep going at it and keep 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 pushing and you will get there. And if you have that belief that you'll get there and never give up, it's what what makes people successful. Indeed, indeed. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? My, I'm dithering because there's two. And I, one is uh, my phone, so I'm, I'm Apple. Um, and I use Siri all the time for reminders, for finding intelli- uh, finding stuff out. Just quick and easy. I use the dictation in that all the time for writing emails. So it saves me a whole bunch of time, especially with it on the computer. You can just quickly dictate your notes down. Really, really brilliant. The other one is, which is next to me as well, is Remarkable. 
So if you've come across it before, it's a digital notepad, but it means that I never, ever lose notes. I can just scribble stuff down. I can deal with it, and it's just there. It's Yeah, I'd never leave home without it. If you're listening, remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've heard about Remarkable a lot, and you know, I'm using my iPad at the moment because yeah. I don't have that much money to buy a Remarkable, but, you know, that's <laughs> the just, best. One of the things, I, I, won't, I won't labor. Um, a lot of people do talk about, well, I've got my iPad to do it. The thing I love about this is it only does this. I don't mm. get distracted with anything else, and it feels like writing on paper. So, yeah, it's brilliant. Great. Okay. Let's move on to the next one. What's a new or a crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had the time? Oh, I couldn't share that because I have got one. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's it's not being serviced at the moment. But the one thing okay, the one thing I will share is which I'm just thinking about. Well, I'm just I won't say thinking because that means I'm not doing. The one thing I am starting is I'm starting to write a book. And mm. that's going to be all on prospecting for small businesses and teaching them how to get the most out of it with just some simple behavioral changes. Mm. I would love to have one copy of that, please. When it's done, you'll get a copy sent over. Awesome. That's perfect. Okay, last question. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Well, I think most people when they get, I, I have, I am an inner geek, um, and I'm very proud of that. But the one thing I discovered a good few years ago, which I love, which some of you may be able to see here, I love Star Wars. So we've got yeah, you can see that in the ship, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I've di I discovered um, I discovered Lego, rediscovered it, and it is so much fun. It, well, it's, well, mm -hmm. it's so fun. You can just switch your mind off doing it, and it's just really nice when you've had a stressful day come in and just start have a play with the model and uh, set himself the objective that I was going to collect all of the original Star Wars ships and I've got all but one now. Perfect. So I'll, awesome. I will get there with the others. <laughs> awesome, awesome, perfect. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story, unpacking the last years of building this business and some of the ups and downs along the way. If people want to check out Popcorn CRM, what, what they have to Google, what's the website? And if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it? Okay, so best thing to do is if you want, want to get in touch with me, go to my LinkedIn profile, search for Simon Washbrook and Popcorn. Um, <clears throat> if you want to find out about our product, because it's great, um, go to popcorncrm.co.uk, and on there is kind of a on that homepage is a ninety second video just showing you what we do and how we do it so brilliantly. So it's all on there for you. Yeah, I recommend everyone to go and check out because I did it and I liked it so much. So it's it's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the impactful work you're doing through Popcorn Serum. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on Founders Podcast. Brilliant. Thank you very much. It's been great fun. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the episode of Founders Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Simon insightful and inspiring. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on our future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.